Our mission here at Cross Point Baptist Church, we're about helping people find and follow Jesus. We want everybody to know Jesus as their Savior and live their life for Christ. We're going to continue in our series. We, we started this series uh, a couple weeks ago, and then we're going through the Ten Commandments. I'm calling this series, Thou Shalt, the Ten Commandments. I need James Earl Jones to really say that for me, that deep, booming voice. I think that'd be good. He'd do a better job at that than I would. But if you brought a Bible, or if you don't have one, there's one somewhere in the seat around you, grab it and open to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 8, 9, 10, and 11, a bunch of other scripture too, a sermon that I'm calling Work, Rest, and Worship. So today, the topic of discussion is the fourth commandment. And most of us think, well, the fourth commandment, that is to keep the Sabbath holy. Here's what I need to say about it. That's part of it, okay? That's part of the fourth commandment. In, commandment. in fact, I almost, called this, this, I almost titled this sermon, Keep the Sabbath Holy, but the problem is that's only part of the fourth commandment. It's not all of the fourth commandment. And when we take a portion of scripture and ignore the other scripture that's related to that scripture, we can get way off real fast. And I think that's really what's going on for a lot of people in the fourth commandment. There has been so much confusion concerning the fourth commandment. And this has only been going on for a couple thousand years. Okay, so we can get really off. Now, there are some of us that have endured some really bad teaching when it comes to the fourth commandment. And so that continues to muddy the water uh, as far as this goes. I was listening, I have a, like, four or five or six different pastors I, I listen to. I podcast their sermons. I believe I was listening to Alistair Begg. If you don't know Alistair Begg, I would tell, tell you to podcast this guy. He's, uh, he's brilliant. But he was preaching on some text, something along the lines of John 3.16. I don't remember what his text was, but it's something that we've heard a million times. Okay, And he said... When you approach a text like this, what you need to do as best you can is to forget everything you've ever heard about this before. And to approach this text like this is the first time you've ever heard this. I was like, wow, that's really hard to do, right? But I think this is a, that's good advice for us, especially when it comes to the fourth commandment. This is what I'm asking you to do. Ignore everything you've ever heard about that before. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at the text, and we're going to try to... to, um, to Figure it out in the context in which God gave it to us. And I think if we're able to do that, that's going to shed a whole lot of light on the, on the fourth commandment for us today. With that, let's read Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. The, the Word of God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the soldier who is within your gates. For six days, the Lord made heaven and the earth, the sea and all of all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. With each of the Ten Commandments, there is a positive principle. That's why I'm calling this series, Thou Shout the Ten Commandments. Because what we typically do is we read the Ten Commandments and we only focus on the negative. Don't do this, don't do that. And we focus on the negative and we forget about the positive. I think our kids do that to us. We tell them, don't do this, but do do that. They don't the don'ts and they completely forget about the do's, right? Okay, well... 
we do that when it comes to the Ten Commandments. And so I think that's where we get off with the Fourth Commandment. Okay? Some would argue that the Fourth Commandment is the most difficult of all the commandments. Now, it's, it's not the most difficult in, in keeping, in a sense, but it's the most difficult in trying to understand. Because we are told to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. The question for Christians especially, does that mean the same thing for us today as it did to the Jews that it was given to? Okay, If it doesn't mean the same thing for us today, then why not? It's because here's the, here's the deal. Truth is universal. Truth is fixed. Truth is cross-cultural. So if something was wrong 4,000 years ago then it should be wrong today. Uh, for, for example, if it was wrong to commit adultery 4,000 years ago, then it should be wrong today to commit adultery. Um, if it was wrong to steal back when God gave the Ten Commandments, then it should be wrong today. And truth applies whether you live in Tokyo, Japan, or if you live in Warland, Wyoming. Okay? If truth in absolutes and in God's word is founded on, this, on the Ten Commandments and the basis for all truths that we are given. But yet here, the Ten Commandments, we're given this one commandment that doesn't appear to apply in the same way that it, was, that it was when it was given to the people that it was given to by God. And so the question is, why not? For example, you know, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, so what I'm about to tell you wasn't my story, but it's other people's story. Okay, for Christians, especially Christians, the generation before us or the generation before that, the Sabbath was said to be on Sunday. Okay, and so Sunday was the family day or church day. That meant on Sunday the family goes to church. Okay, so that was the day when the family would get dressed up in their Sunday best and they would all go to church. And as a child, you had to be on your deathbed to not go to church on Sunday, right, Greg? Yeah, amen, yeah. You had to be dying, otherwise you're in church. And so for some that grew up in rural communities, say like Worland and Wyoming, if you're a farmer, that meant no farming on Sunday. That means no harvesting sugar beets on the Sunday. That meant no planting wheat on Sunday because for some they said Sunday was the Sabbath. And so that could be a real good thing if you were a little boy or a little girl that had to work the farm, but that could be bad because that meant for you that on Sunday you couldn't go fishing. That if you had a deer tag, you couldn't go fill that deer tag on Sunday. Uh, because that's what was taught. Christians believe that if you did those things, you were breaking the fourth commandment. Now, there are some places where people took this so far to actually write laws to prohibit stores from being open on Sunday. Now, I was told, I actually went over to the courthouse and talked to the ladies there. And I was told, to the best of my ability to do the research on this, that there was never a law in Warland that you couldn't be open, have stores open on Sunday. But in other places, say like Texas and the Bible Belt, there were actual laws that prohibited the sale of non-essential goods. And these were called blue laws. Blue laws say you cannot say, sell anything that is non-essential. So that meant you could buy milk on Sundays, but you couldn't buy clothing. I think clothing is kind of essential, especially where you live when it's cold. But that's what... what what I've been told. So the question we should ask, is that what it really means to keep the Sabbath? Well, here's my first point to help us understand this. Point number one, the word Sabbath literally means seven. Okay? If you were to go to Israel today, 
and you talk to, to the Jews there, uh, there is no days of the week. There's no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There's none of that. To them, it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay? Their Saturday is the seventh day, which is their Sabbath. Now, to really help understand what's going on here in context of what we're talking about, okay, in the Old Testament, God gave different laws. He gave the moral laws. And the moral laws are absolute, and the moral laws are fixed. For example, uh, it, it says, do not commit adultery. You shall not lie. You shall not murder. Those laws are fixed. They are absolutes. And they actually also transcend cultures. That's why when it's wrong here, it's wrong no matter where you are in the world to do those things. But side by side in the Old Testament, there is the moral laws and there's also the ceremonial laws. And the ceremonial laws, they belong exclusively to Israel. And in the ceremonial laws, it, it tells the Jews how they were to conduct themselves in religious rituals and in different um, festivals and, and ho- their holidays, if you will. And then God also gave sacrificial laws. Okay? That's how different animals to were to be sacrificed. For example, if you were to sacrifice a lamb, well, then it had to be a lamb that was unblemished. Okay? There could be no flaws in that lamb. If it was the Passover lamb, well, then it had to be put up for so long, okay? Those are the the sacrificial laws. But God also gave Israel the sanitation laws. Remember, they are nomadic. And so they would wander the the desert for 40 years. Well, that also meant they weren't real apt to taking cleanliness all that serious. So God gave them the sanitation laws. And it told them how they're to dig the trenches that eventually became their, their bathrooms, if you will. And God did that so people wouldn't get sick, But then God also gave the dietary laws. And the dietary laws said, well, Jews could eat these certain animals, but there's other animals that were unclean. For example, Jewish people are told they can't eat pork. So you know what that means? That means no bacon. No bacon sandwiches, no pork chops, no Christmas ham. Like, "Ah, I couldn't make it. But (laughs) all these laws that I'm talking about, the sanitation, the the sacrificial, all these different laws, they became the basis for an argument in the early church. Most of the early Christians were all Jews, ethnically speaking. Okay, And, And then sometime later, there was Greek believers. And there was Roman believers. And there was African believers. There's all these different believers that are no longer ethnically Jews. And some of the Jewish Christians... They started arguing. They were saying, well, if you want to become a Christian, you first have to become a, become a Jew. And then once you're a Jew, then you can convert to Christianity. And so they argued that first, if you want to become a Christian, you have to get circumcised. I think what they're thinking is, they're like, if I had to go through that pain, then you have to go through that pain. It's not fair that I did it and you didn't have to do it. I think that was their thinking. And since they started with circumcision, they didn't stop there. They just cranked it up a bit and kept, kept kicking that can down the road, if you will. And they said, because you have to get circumcised, then you also have to keep the, the different Jewish festivals and the different Jewish holidays. And you had to keep the Sabbath. And so the early church met, and they had what I call the grace debate. If you remember when we were going through the book of Acts, in chapter 15, they had the, the grace debate. And so the leaders of the church, they got together and they had this discussion. Do, do Christians have to get circumcised? And the answer was no. He said, no, all that stuff is not essential for salvation. And so 
there was, there was some that said, well, you have to at least observe the dietary laws. Okay? There are certain animals that God said, don't eat these animals, and if you want to be a Christian, you can eat those animals. Well, if you remember, God gave the Apostle Peter a vision, and the Apostle Peter is very, very Jewish. And the vision was of a, of a sheet descending down from heaven with all sorts of different uh, four-footed animals and things that creep. And God said, Peter, arise and eat. And Peter, being all holier than thou, said, no, Lord, I can't do that. That's a weird sentence, like, no, Lord. The Lord just told you to do something. You said, no, anyways. No, Lord, nothing clean has untouched my lips. And so God has to tell him two more times. I know my wife's head explodes when she tells our kids something more than once. I think that's what's going on with God and Peter. But eventually, Peter listens. No amen from that? I thought I got an amen. Okay, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Eventually, Peter arises and kills and eats an animal that's unclean. And then he realizes this all points to how there's no people that are to be considered unclean. And so what's going on here is that in the New Testament, God sets aside the dietary laws. See, what happened is God also sets aside the ceremonial laws. God sets aside the sacrificial laws. That's why we don't bring a lamb to church. Did anybody bring a lamb to church for us to slaughter today? I see no hands. Why? Because God set that aside. But the Sabbath law is different than the rest of the Ten Commandments for several reasons. First of all, it is the only commandment that is not repeated in the New Testament. And I don't think that's by accident. God very easily could have repeated that in the New Testament if he chose to, but he didn't. And so we need to know that the Sabbath law is different from the other nine commandments from the very beginning. And I think this is why we how we get it wrong. Because we wrongfully think that this is how it played out at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up to the mountain, he speaks to God, he's given the Ten Commandments, and he comes back down and gives it to the people. But that's not what happened. God does give Moses uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, but that's not where it ends. Let's keep reading Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 18. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, picture a mountain smoking. That would be terrifying. The people were afraid and trembled, and they stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you will fear him, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And so God's already given the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, but now Moses has to go back into this thick smoke, and he, which actually represents the very presence of God, and he, God instructs Moses. And so what happens there for, for a, quite a few chapters is that Moses and God have this lengthy conversation where God explains the Ten Commandments. If we were to finish chapter 20, we would read how God explains the First Commandments to have no other gods. If we were to go to Exodus 21, God talks about the fair treatments of servants. In Exodus 22, God talks about the punishment that is appropriate for someone that murders. And then Moses has a question. He says, well, what if my bull or my ox kills somebody? And God essentially says, well, that depends and explains what happens. 
And then if we were to go to chapter 22, God tells Moses the responsibility of owning property or borrowing money. In Exodus 23, God speaks about the laws concerning justice. And then Moses comes down off of the mountain and he tells the people all that he's heard. I think what was going on, he's like, I've got a short-term memory. I've got to tell people before I forget it. I don't know, that's just me. And then Moses goes back up onto the mountain again for more instructions. In chapter 25, God speaks to Moses and tells him about the building of the sanctuary, about the Ark of the Covenant and the furniture that goes in the tabernacle. In chapter 26, God talks about the altar of sacrifice. In chapter 28, God instructs Moses about what the priest is supposed to wear. And then in chapter 30, he talks about the building of the altar of incense. And then finally, in Exodus 31, the conversation between God and Moses ends. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. It says, And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. And if you've seen the movie, you know what happens next. I actually went onto YouTube and refreshed my memory. It's been a long time since I've seen Charlton Heston play that play out. He comes down and there's a golden calf and the people are practicing utter idolatry. You know why that happened? That happened because Moses was gone for like a really long time. And they're thinking, hey, uh, something happened to Moses. He fell into a crevice. He died. Or maybe a wild animal ate him. Hey, let's go with plan B. And plan B was utter idolatry and pagan worship. That was plan B. Okay? And so, you know what happens? He smashes the tablets. And Moses has to go back up onto the mountain and tell God, hey, this is what happened. I smashed the tablets that you wrote. Real bad deal. (laughs) And this is where it gets really interesting. If it wasn't interesting enough... God's summing up the Ten Commandments, okay? In Exodus 31, God is summing up the Ten Commandments. But, you know, so before God handed the law over to Moses, we read in, in, in verse 18, he explains it. Look, in Exodus 31, verse 12, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel, and say above all, You shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you. Throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Jump down to verse 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign between me and the people of Israel um, that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. On the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Here's my second point that I want you to know. Point number two. The Sabbath was a commandment given to Israel to commemorate God's covenant with Israel forever. So what God says is he's singling out this one commandment for Israel. God gives the commandments and then Moses has to go back to God and then God has this long dialogue with Moses and then God singles out this one commandment and he says this is between God and the people of Israel forever. Now, God does not say, hey, this is a, this is a uh, commandment between me and you, and then one day I'm going to take it away from you, and I'm going to give it to the church. That's not what he says. One reason why people think like this, because a long, long time, go back several centuries, what the church taught people is essentially, I'm going to sum it up like this. 
The Jews were so awful and naughty and rebellious that God removed his promises from the Jewish people and he gave it to the church. No. That is called replacement theology. It is utter heresy and it is wrong. Okay? Israel is Israel and the church is the church. And let me just tell you something. I believe this in all my heart. One, God's not done with Israel. But two, he's about to do something huge through Israel. Okay? Hang on to your hats. It's coming. But the Sabbath, it's a sign between God and the people of Israel. The Bible makes a very clear distinction between the Jewish people and the Gentile people. Okay? Over and over and over again, the Bible makes this this distinction. So when God gives the Ten Commandments, he says, hey, this one is for Israel. And this is not a part of the moral law. It's not a part, it is part of the covenantal law of the, of the, for the people of Israel so that they will remember that, that God has a covenant with them. So if you keep the Sabbath, it's not a matter of morality like murder or lying or stealing. Okay? This is to the Jews. They're keeping this commandment as a sign that they are God's covenant people. And so the Sabbath from the very beginning, it's not part of the moral law. Okay? It's a part of the ceremonial law, which is meant for Israel. That's why it's not repeated in the New Testament. Okay? Most of the New Testament is written to Christians, but yet this one commandment is written to Israel. Now today, there are Messianic Jews, and a Messianic Jew is a Jew, ethnically speaking, that have trusted in Christ as their Messiah, we would say Savior. And some of them do keep the Sabbath as a sign of them being Israeli. But most Gentiles or non-Jewish believers do not keep it because it's not a sign between us and God. It's a sign between God and Israel. Now, I've said all of this to let you know it's not for Christians, but there are some aspects of the Sabbath that have implication on a Christian believer today. And it has everything to do with balance. This is why I'm calling this message Work, Rest, and Worship. That's what I mean by balance. Every single one of us, we need to maintain balance in our lives. It's about maintaining proper priorities. God gave the Sabbath to the Jewish people for two reasons. One, it's a covenant sign between them being God's chosen people. But two, God also gave it because as human beings, we need rest. That we need to disengage because if we don't, what we do is we work ourselves to death. Point number three, God gave the Sabbath so that we would recognize the need for rest. The principle of rest is just as important today as it was 4,000 years ago. People 4,000 years ago, they needed rest and we need rest today. Now, you can read your Bible from cover to cover, and you're never going to see a list of things that you can and can't do on the Sabbath. All God said was, don't work. That's the end of the list. One thing, don't work. Those lists were added later by these, these rabbis to say, well, this is what God wants. And so what they did is that God t- took a, a, a commandment, the Sabbath, this something was supposed to be a blessing to the people of Israel. And the religious elite, they really turned it into a burden. They, they took what God meant for a blessing, they turned it to a burden. So by the time Jesus comes onto the scene in the Gospels, the Jewish rabbis took what was supposed to be a blessing and they had 1,500 different rules concerning the Sabbath. For example, 
you can't prepare, uh, prepare a meal on the Sabbath. Now, the moms are thinking, that sounds great. No, you, if you didn't make enough food on Friday, that means you're going to go hungry on Saturday. There was all sorts of different categories, and there other categories, all these subcategories, the stuff that you can't do. For example, a dad was allowed to pick up his toddler child, but if the toddler child was holding a rock, well, then you can't pick your child up because that would be work. That's ridiculous. Okay? If you want to do a word study on the word Sabbath, you can go to a Bible concordance and you can look it up. It's really easy with computers today. And the vast majority of the time that word appears, it appears in the New Testament. And the vast majority of time it appears, it appears in reference to, to Jesus being condemned because they said that he is breaking the Sabbath. Read in John chapter 5, verse 18. It says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Go to John chapter 9, verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? There was a vision among them. The greatest accusation that people continued to hurl against Jesus is that Jesus was a sinner because he didn't keep the Sabbath, or at least he wasn't keeping it the way they said he has to be keeping it. And that infuriated the Pharisees, but what they were doing, they were taking a blessing from God, and they were turning it into a burden that people were to keep. Here's what Jesus said about this in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So these religious elite, they were taking this blessing from God and they were turning into a burden that people were to endure. So the question that we should ask is, well, what is the significance of the Sabbath today? Because it is a sign between God and Israel that on the seventh day they are to keep, keep it holy But yet there's another word that we should know that will kind of help us understand what this means. And the word that I'm thinking of is the word Shabbat. If you go to Israel today, nobody's talking about the Sabbath. They're talking about Shabbat. And the word Shabbat, Shabbat means to cease from working. And instead of working, what they're supposed to do is to instead worship God. It's a commemorative uh, event of, of creation because in six days God created, on the seventh day he rested. And let me just tell you, God didn't rest because he was tired. God rested because it was complete. Here's my fourth point for us this morning, point number four. God gave the Sabbath to teach us the importance of balancing work and worship. Now, in all likelihood, when Jesus was a little boy, probably every Saturday he spent going to the synagogue. Because when we read the Gospels, the Gospels are only a three-year window into the ministry years of Jesus. But every time it is a Sabbath, we see either Jesus is in a synagogue or he is in the temple in Jerusalem. So, So, in many ways, life in the New Testament time, it revolved around the Sabbaths and the different festivals like Passover and the Feast of Booze. Um, but I'm trying to, to, to let us know that, that rest and worship are very closely linked together. The Bible says that we're to not work on the Sabbath, but instead we're to keep it holy. So that has not only to do with our rest, but also has to do with our worship. 
So if we're talking about worship, well, then the question comes, well, why don't Christians worship on Saturday? Instead, they worship on Sunday. Why do Christians worship on Sunday? Well, the answer is because there's two great works in the Bible. The first one occurs in the Old Testament. It's creation. Okay? And when it was finished, it was finished on Saturday. But the second great work is found in the New Testament. And it was completed on Sunday in its redemption. In the Old Testament, God finished creation and he rested on the Sabbath. And in the New Testament, he finished redemption and he resurrected from the dead and it was on a Sunday. So very early on in the New Testament, the Christians began to worship on what they called the Lord's Day. That is Sunday. Because that's the day when Jesus, he left the empty tomb. And if you go to the tomb today, it's empty. You know why? Because Jesus is alive. Amen, amen. And throughout the, the New Testament, every time they say, you see that word, that term, the Lord's Day? Every single time, it's referring to a Sunday. There's not one instance where that refers to a Saturday. Now, just time out. Let me give you this caveat. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, you must worship on Sunday. You cannot worship on Saturday. You can't find it because it's not in there. But very clearly in the New Testament, you can see that the practice of Christians, they began to worship on Sunday. Why? Because Jesus was raised from the dead on a Sunday. Jesus met with the apostles, and it happened on a Sunday. The second time he met with his apostles, it happened a week later on a Sunday. Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. It happened to be on a Sunday. The Great Commission was given to the apostles on a Sunday. Jesus ascended back into heaven. It happened on a Sunday. The day of Pentecost, when Peter preached and 3,000 got saved, it happened on a Sunday. Then later in the book of Acts, read in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. It says, on the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart the next day. He prolonged his speech, or I'll say his sermon, until midnight. And people say, I, I'm long-winded. Not compared to the Apostle Paul. You guys are getting off easy, let me tell you. But there, Luke tells us, they gathered together to break bread. That's a euphemism for corporate worship and taking the Lord's Supper. By the way, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper at the end of this service. And it says, the first day of the week. That's Sunday. Everything we just read, it happened on a Sunday. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And so the church, they're meeting together. And when's it happening? On a Sunday, because that's when their offering was taken. Why do we do it like that? Because that's the way the early church did it. As Southern Baptists, we're trying to stay as close to what we see the early church doing as possible. There's people today, and they want to worship on Saturday. Well, unless you're a Jewish believer, you're still kind of on the wrong side of the cross. Because what we see in the New Testament is that believers were worshiping corporately on Sunday. Read Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Therefore, let no one judge you, on, uh, ju pass judgment on you in questions to food or drink. He's talking about the dietary laws. That's what I mean by setting aside the dietary laws. 
or with regard to festivals or new moon or a Sabbath. That's the ceremonial law. These are shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So what Paul is saying, he's saying, don't let anybody judge you on what you eat. Essentially, he's saying, if you want to eat discount barbecue, go ahead and eat discount barbecue. It doesn't mean anything. But he's also saying, don't let anybody judge you of when you want to worship. If you want to worship on a Tuesday, God bless you. Go ahead. You can do that. We have freedom in Christ to do that. Romans chapter 14, verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The context of what Paul's talking about in Romans 14 is in the context of legalism. If you, if you don't know what legalism, I like to find legalism is like taking an arrow, shooting against the wall, then walking up and drawing a circle around it, going, that's the bullseye we're supposed to hit. It's opposing rules on other people that God never said. Okay? So Paul gives two illustrations uh, to combat this. And the first, he's talking about meat given to idols. He's saying, you have liberty. You want to do it? Do it. But he also illustrates this with the Sabbath. He's saying one, one person esteems one day, most likely Saturday, over another day, most likely Sunday. He's saying, do what you want. You have freedom in Christ to worship on whatever, every day, whatever day you want. So God gave us the Sabbath as a sign between him and Israel. But today, there's still this principle of balance that applies to us. Where am I going with this? Well, if you were to buy a car, if you were to reach into the glove box, you'll find an owner's manual. It's about this thick. And if you read it, it will say, in so many miles, change the oil. In so many miles, you need to rotate the tires. And if you do this, you'll get maximum performance out of the car. That's what the Sabbath is. If you want maximum performance in your life, then you need a day where you don't work, but instead you set it aside for worship. Some people think that God's saying, don't work on the Sabbath. That's not the entire commandment. If we only do that, then we're missing a huge chunk of what God is talking about in the fourth commandment. Read Exodus chapter 20, verse number 9. God says, six days you shall labor and do all of your work. So the commandment is not only about resting. The commandment is to work. Because six days you are to work. The same Bible that tells us we are to rest is the same Bible that tells us we are to work. Do you think the primary problem in our country today is that people are just working too much? No, go go ask the people trying to build the the co-op down there. Like They can't hardly find somebody who's willing to work, right? There was a time in our country where the American dream was to work hard, set a little aside, pass values on to our families. That was the American dream. But somewhere along the, the line, it, the American dream became, well, hey, let's get rich uh, early and let's retire at 30 and li- live the rest of the years on the beach. But today, I would say that the American dream has changed again. The American dream today is I'm going to live in my parents' basement the rest of my life. I'm going to play video games and the government's going to send me a check. No, that's a violation of the fourth commandment. Oh, Pastor John's preaching against socialism. Man, I'm really stepping out. Baptist church preaching against that. Anyways... God wants us to be productive. Six days you shall work. That is the commandment. The commandment's not just don't do anything on Saturday or Sunday, whichever. The commandment is to work. Listen how strongly God says it in the New Testament. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, my wife's favorite verse. Here it goes. For even when you were, we were with you, we would, not give you this, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I think every mom needs to get some recycled barn wood and have this one up right next to the fridge, right? Yeah, you don't work, you don't eat. You don't want them off the floor, we'll go hungry. Yeah. God, now just to be clear, God's not talking about people who can't work. He's talking about people that are so lazy they refuse to work even though they're fully capable. You see, the same Bible that commands us to rest is the same Bible that commands us to have a strong work ethic. So really, in the fourth commandment, there are two principles. One is a principle of work, and the other is a principle of worship. Keep the Sabbath holy. And so really, it's not just about what you don't do. This principle is about about as much as what you do. Again, that's why I'm calling this series, Thou Shout, because again, we focus on the negative and we forget about the positive. We are to have a day of worship because naturally we just don't do this. If we are left unto ourselves, we will make a day, and in fact, every single day about us. And this fourth commandment is about balance. We are to work and we are to worship. We are to do both so we don't get out of balance. You know, if you have a car and your car is out of balance for too long, eventually it will destroy your car. And the same is true for us. If we go long enough without worshiping God, it will wreck our lives. You know, in our, in our bodies, there's different systems. There's the muscle system. There's the skeletal system. There's the reproductive system. I'm sure Dr. Moss can name the other 50 or 100. I don't know. But if any of these get out of balance, that's what we call disease, Right? Our systems and our body are supposed to be balanced. Well, God has made us to weird to be balanced. You have to balance work, rest, and worship. Did you know that the number one prescribed class of medication in our country is antidepressants? Now, real quick, I am very pro-medication. I'm very pro-you getting with a qualified physician and discussing what's best for you. And if you and your qualified physician say the best thing for you to do is to be on an antidepressant, then please get on an antidepressant. But I just wonder, I don't know the percentage, but what percentage of that might be alleviated if they might be able to balance their work, their rest, and their worship? How about this? How many of you use your day off to catch up on work? Don't raise your hand. I know a lot of you do. How how about this? If you take a day off, do you feel guilty? No, don't raise your hand. I know that's me. How about this? Maybe you're like me, and you don't like to take, take a day off because if you take a day off, when you get back to work, there's three times as much work if there otherwise would have been, so you just don't take a day off. Do you, are you the one that has to get sick to take a day off? Again, don't answer that. God knows how you are wired. You know why? Because he's the one that wired you. Now, 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 some people have to work on Sundays, okay? And that's okay. Did you know I have to work on Sundays? In fact, I have to work every single Sunday. Uh, I might be the hardest working person here on Sunday, except for who, who's ever working the nursery. That person, they got me beat. But I work every single Sunday. But that's why God gave the Sabbath. He gave it in the terms of rest. God gave us the Sabbath to rest our bodies. But what some people have done, they've taken a day of rest, they've taken this holy day and they turn it into a holiday. 
How many people, when they get off work on Friday, it's, it's their, they're living large and they're partying all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and then they go back to work on Monday, they are fried. They didn't get a, an ounce of rest. As human beings, we're made by God to have a day that we are set apart and worship. Did you know that worship is actually rest? How many, when you leave here today, you're like, man, I feel rested. Why? Because you are worshiping God. That's how you're, I'm preaching the peanut gallery, because you're here, okay? Uh, some people say, well, I don't have time to go to church. I'm just too busy. Let me tell you, it's a, only a matter of time before you crash. And this happens. Their whole world starts falling apart. They're not going to church. They're not worshiping, and they're wondering why their, their whole world is crashing, crashing down, because you're not worshiping God. Sometimes what we need to do would be best for you to shape or prune our priorities that lines up with what God has said. Line up our priorities and live our lives the way God has said. You know why? Because God knows what's best for us. When we don't rest, that's actually a sign of immaturity. It's like that little kid that doesn't want to take a nap. Know anybody like that? Yeah, and then they're, they're, they're heck to live with. Well, we're like that. When we don't rest, we're hard to live with. I just wish somebody would punish me and send me to my room and make me take a nap. Yeah. Here brings me my fifth point. Point number five. God gave us the Sabbath to recharge our souls. This has to do with our emotions because stress has this way of just draining us emotionally and physically. Chuck Swindoll said this. He said, quote, busyness rapes relationships. Hold on, Chuck. That's some strong words you just said there. Let me say it again. Busyness rapes relationships. It substitutes shallow frenzy for deep friendship. It promises satisfying dreams but delivers hollowed nightmares. It feeds the ego but it starves the inner man. It fills the counter but it fractures the family. It cultivates a program but it plows under priority. You know, busyness can destroy your life when you just have to go, 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 go. And anybody with kids in sports, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we, just gotta, we have to prune that and focus on what's important. And a lot of times, God is the most important thing. But for some reason, he's often the one we prune out. Don't do that. It's going to end up hurting you. Point number six, God gave us the Sabbath to refocus our spirits. The principle isn't just about work and rest, it's also about worship. You know, when we get to the New Testament, the people in the Bible, they, they had this Sabbath, but yet the Pharisees turned this day that's supposed to be a blessing, and they turn into a nightmare. They turn into a day that's just terrible burdens that where people just had to endure it. But that's not what the, the Bible says the, the Sabbath's supposed to be, at, be about. The Sabbath's not supposed to be a day of gloom, it's supposed to be a day of gladness. Read in Psalms 122, verse 1. It says, When I was glad when they said to me, Let's go to the house of the Lord. Sounds to me like they're going to church. Like church was fun, church was exciting, and also church was restful. Sundays are supposed to be a day where you recharge spiritually. You know, sometimes I leave here and I, I go up uh, South 15th and I'll go up airport and I'll see there's that bike path and there'll be people running on the back bike path. And here's what I'll say. That's a good thing. People are recharging themselves physically 
And then maybe we'll, I'll take the turn and go over by one of our parks and I'll see there's a family sitting on a park bench or table and they're having lunch together. You know what? That's a good thing. Because you're recharging yourselves emotionally when you're with your family. But we need to have a day where we, we worship. We worship God because that, often we forgot about our spiritual needs. God's given us a day not only to rest our bodies and recharge our emotions, but he's given us a day to refocus on our, our spirits. And, and it helps to reshape our values. And do you know where you do that best? You, yeah, exactly, amen. You do that best when you're in church. Okay, that's why we need the church. That's what, that's what we do here. That's what God is talking about. And there's sometimes people say, well, I can't go to church on Sunday. I have to go up on the mountains. I have to go to the lake. You know, you can do those things, but when, when you prune that out for so, prune God out and you do those things for so long, you're not recharging yourself the way God has said to. This is how we keep the Sabbath holy, by setting ourselves apart from worship. Now, somebody stopped me in the first, first services. Pastor John, does that mean we can't go fishing on Sundays? No, you can go fishing on Sundays. Just don't leave out the worship part. Come to church and then go fishing. That's okay. So here's the question. How should Christians relate this commandment regarding the Sabbath today? This is a day that we can't forget about the Lord. We can't forget about what He's done for us. We can't negate corporate worship. Sometimes about as many things as anything else, it's about quietness. Because today, we are probably bombarded today, more so today than the history of the world. With with emails and text messages and smartphones and social media, people have access to us 24-7, 365. And it's not healthy. Okay? What we need to do is just turn off our phones. Turn them off. Don't silence them. Turn them off. And just look to God. You know, God says, be still and know I'm God. You know, when we come together as a church, it's, it's commemorative, it, it's contemplative because all that God has done for us. But there's a huge component of church that is about fellowship. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10, it says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And some people say, well, I can be just as good a Christian up on the mountain as I can at church. No, you can't. Because you can't fellowship with another Christian as well by, when you're by yourself as you can at church. Part of the Christian life, it's about connection, where we connect to God vertically, but we, we connect to other believers horizontally. Why am I so strong on small group? Because that's the best thing for you. You need small group. You need to edify one another. You need to lift each other up and keep each other account, accountable. That is the very best thing for you. I heard a story about a pastor who went to visit a church member who had been absent from church for a long, long time. Hadn't seen this guy at church for a long time. He goes to the, to the man's house and knocks on the door. It's the middle of winter, and the, the man opens the door, invites the pastor in. They come into the living room. He has a big roaring fire going in the fireplace, and the man just sits in a chair near the fire. man sits in another chair opposite of the pastor, and not a word is said between the two of them for a long, long time. They're just staring at the fire, and then eventually the pastor grabs the tongs and reaches in the fire and grabs a log and removes it from the fire and just sets it on the bricks and then just goes back and sits there. Still not a word said. And pretty, pretty quickly, the log that was engulfed in flames, it went out. And it's just smoldering. 
Still not a word being said. The pastor grabbed the tongs, grabbed the log, put it back in the fire, and immediately that log caught back on fire. Nothing being said. A few more minutes, and the man said, Pastor, thank you for your sermon. I'll see you at church on Sunday. We need to learn to balance our work, our rest, and our worship. Why? Because that's the best thing for you. That's why God gave us, one reason why God gave us the church, because we need to come together. We need to worship. We need to hear God's words. We need to be in small group. That's, that's what keeps us together. It keeps us from falling apart. You know, God gave us rest in so many ways. There's some people that are just trying to earn their salvation. They're just trying to work hard. I'm just trying to be so good so God will f- finally accept me. Let me tell you something. It's never going to happen. That will never happen. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me, all you, you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and put it upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Jesus doesn't say take off a yoke, but I think there is an implication of taking off. It's that yoke of trying to earn my salvation. You know what? Jesus came, he did it all. Jesus, who is God, came in the flesh. He came and he hung on a cross. Why? Because I'm a sinner. Because you're a sinner. And every single one of us, we have incurred a debt of, of, because of sin in our lives. And we can never pay it. And that's what Jesus came to give us rest from our souls. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, I would beg you to do that now. To come to this moment where you, just, you recognize, I am a sinner and my sin, it separates me from Christ, but there's nothing I can do. That's why Christ came. To lavish me with his grace. To forgive me of my sins. The Bible has an amazing promise. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord, they will be saved. You know what I love about that? One of the amazing, he didn't say you might be saved. Mm, you can hope you'll be saved. No, he says you will be saved. If you recognize you're a sinner and cry out to him, he'll save you. And for most, it happens something like this. Save me! I'm a sinner. Thank you for saving me. I give you my life. I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.